Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is the latest instalment of the Doctor Who show's Alternate Galaxies, where we are back for the third time to talk about Star Trek Picard, particularly Season 3. Rob, how are you? Dave, very well. Third time back and final time, they tell us. So they tell us, but we will, I'm sure, touch on whether that means it is the really, really final time later on. This is, of course, Alternate Galaxies, where we talk about shows, films, things that are within the Doctor Who genre, zeitgeist, kind of adjacent to, or really just stuff that we like and want to talk about that mm-hmm. isn't Doctor Who. The kind of stuff we tweet about and Doctor Who fans get more excited about than Doctor Who sometimes. 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 Yes. <laughs> so, look, we'll dive straight into it, Rob. We have discussed seasons one and two of Picard when they came out on Alternate Galaxies. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll just say, as usual, we will have a bit of spoiler-free discussion and then we will lower very clearly the spoiler curtain so if you don't want to be spoiled and trust me you will be spoiled if you stick around after that uh, please do leave at the spoiler curtain but before we get to the spoiler curtain before we drop spoilers Rob we discussed season one of Picard we discussed season two of Picard when they came out we're now discussing season three when you went into it as a viewer a long-time viewer of the show what were your expectations I've been very scientific about this, Dave, because I've pulled up a tweet from the Doctor Who show account that I made on February 17th this year, and the show had just launched, obviously, on February 16th, that being US time, so this is as the show was launching, and I tweeted, I haven't dipped into Picard Season 3 yet, I see it sitting there, waiting. I've been broadly hopeful about this third season being what they should have done all along, and thus far have seen comments from two reviewers I truly rate. One loathes it, one thinks it's really good. Hmm. End tweet. I remember you sending that tweet, and I was in a similar position. Going back, I remember season one I I did watch. My watching was interrupted because I went overseas halfway through it, and I do remember... It took me a while to get back to it because I wasn't that excited by it. Some of the episodes were good, but some of them were a real slog. Mm -hmm. Season two started off very well. It was interesting. John Delancey was back as Q. We had a nice little bunch of Easter eggs dropped. The Stargazer, those skulls were really cool. We had an alternate evil timeline, which is always good. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of got a bit weird, and then it got (laughs) really weird. And by the end of it, I was just just like Luvik in The Keeper of Traken. I don't know what's going on. And... uh, That was really how I felt about season two. So I went into season three knowing it was going to have most of the original TNG cast back. Mm -hmm. Now, we didn't know whether that meant they were all back for every episode or every episode, randomly one of them would just happen to pop by to give their old friend John Luke a hand. Uh, So, you know, that that made it sort of interesting. Um, I was very nervous going in, I have to say. Very, very nervous. Yeah, look, just on that, I seem to recall that we knew very, very early that this third season would be with the next-gen cast. Did we know as soon as the second season ended, or maybe even before it ended, Dave? It was either as or just after the last episode of season two dropped. Yeah. They, they dropped that trailer with all the names of who was coming back. Yeah, because I have this memory of thinking oh yeah, they know this second season's been a stinker and so they're reassuring everyone right away, don't panic, the cavalry will be here next season. 
In fact, it must have been just before the last episode of Season 2 dropped, because I remember seeing the list of names, thinking it was a great shame that Will Wheaton didn't get to come back to Picard, and then he had his surprise cameo appearance in the next episode. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so I, I thought it could have been the case, and I thought that was very strange to start spruiking the next season before the current one had ended. So look, all told, I was excited that a new season was coming, and thinking... I think they're going in the right direction at last. They got the, the the old crew on board. But going back to that tweet, I was still somewhat reluctant to start watching. I was saying, look, oh, it's sitting there. I can see it. Do I press play or not? So that's where you were 10 weeks ago. Where are you now? Well, my overall thoughts on the season, spoiler free as always, Dave, I, I think it did very well. Look, I, I do have some beefs with the series, which we'll get to. But I'm happy to say that after thinking those first two seasons were a bit rubbish and coming to dislike them even more as time went on, you know, <laughs> it's not like Doctor Who where you sort of watch it a bit later and you think, oh, that wasn't so bad. I've actually come to dislike it more as time goes, has gone on. I think the first episode of this third season had aired and I was already out there on the front foot saying, yes, I think they've got this right. The tone is good. It looks good. Somehow it feels more right than the first two seasons did because they felt dark and depressing and not like Star Trek. And and while this one does go to some dark places too and is in that action-adventure vein of the Star Trek movies, which a lot of people instantly say, oh, that's not Star Trek, although it's in that vein, somehow it just felt more on the right course from the start for me. I enjoyed this season for the most part. Mm-hmm. The problems that I had with this season are in some ways not this season or even this show's fault. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean about that as we get into a more detailed discussion. Look, I'm going to preface everything I say for the rest of this episode. Uh, and indeed, everything I say when we come back shortly for our season three of The Mandalorian chat. In both cases, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the show's more than enough that even with the occasional faults and a bit of nitpicking, and there's going to be that, don't worry, it's definitely going to be that. <laughs> But in both cases, I knew what day they were dropping. I knew that Wednesday was Mando Day, and I knew that Friday was Picard Day. And I was excited to get home and put them on mm-hmm. and watch them and then talk with my friends. You know, in the case of the Mando, it was a bit more in, in real life. In the case of Picard, it was a bit more online. But but to get out there and watch them and then talk to friends about them. They, they were not event television, but it, it was a series that I did look forward to getting home on Friday night or Saturday morning and I need to see the new Picard. Mm -hmm. So for for any negatives I have over the next little while, and there will be negatives, I did enjoy it. I did shoot in week to week and I was excited by it. So you're saying you weren't hate-watching? I definitely wasn't hate-watching and I was definitely far more enthusiastic as the season went on, which is the reverse of seasons one and two where they started with sort of exciting highs and then just sort of drifted off into what? <laughs> you know, where, you know, where, 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 you know. I mean, even the first seasons sort have of ended with giant robot octopuses coming out of giant space holes with giant flowers and robots that were from a parallel dimension <laughs> linked to the Romulans. Yep. Somehow, yep. you know, it was all there. You know, it was, it was all, it was a lot of TV show. So yeah, look, I, I enjoyed it. I have problems. Some of the problems weren't its fault, and, and I think. The last point I'll just make before we go to the spoiler curtain is a bit of one that's tangential to what you just spoke about 
before Rob, and that is this problem that there really have been two Picards. And a number of people have spoken about this. The guys over at Red Letter Media did a whole big bit, bit on this that sort of tuned in with my views as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when the original Star Trek went from TV to movies, Captain Kirk was kind of ready-made to be a movie hero. He was your classic Western action hero. A few quips, gets the girl. Like, he's what you want in your movie hero. Yeah. Captain Picard was not. Captain Picard was brilliant and perfect and well-made for television. And tuning in every week and seeing what thoughtful, interesting problem Picard would solve in a in an intellectual way with some action beats thrown in along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, Riker was there to get the girl and Data was there for some comedy and Worf was there for some liners, you know, you know, and Deanna Troy was there for the blokes, let's face it, that's her only purpose. Um, which is, you know, sad. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. It hasn't got much better. Um, <laughs> We've got to talk about where her accent's gone too, but anyway. Yeah, the original accent last heard in Generations, yes. <laughs> but the point is, when they got to do the movie, that Picard is not an action movie hero. And you watch the Picard of the movies, particularly by the time you get to First Contact. And it's a great, fun movie. It's nothing to do with Star Trek The Next Generation, and it's completely different Picard. This is this is a Picard who gets shouty, who likes to run around with guns, who swings Tarzan-style across the, the, the Enterprise, you know, gets the girl. <laughs> you know, it's... it's, it's, it's they, they made a change in the character to make, say this needs to work in the movies. And I think one of the problems with the series going right back to the first one is they never quite worked out which Picard was turning up in this show and whether this show was a continuation of the movies or a continuation of the TV series until this season where I think Terry Metalis as the the showrunner for this season almost just said I'm going to ignore everything that happened after all good things yep including season 1 and 2 of this series yep yep and I'm just going to do my own thing as though the movies and the first two seasons of Picard and everything else never happened I think that's very fair comment, Dave. Yep. On that note, is it spoiler time? Spoiler time. Rob, do you want to kick us off with the spoiler talk? And I guess, did it all work? Did it all work? Well, I think we've got to rewind a bit, Dave, to what the premise of the series was. And the the arc, the story, I guess. I mean, what do we what do we take the arc to be of this season? Jack Crusher... He's got a secret. Uh, He also happens to be Picard's son, but that isn't the secret. Changelings are going to destroy Starfleet from within and sitting behind it all, the Borg, who Jack has a link to, of course, because Picard, we learn, has now been changed, I guess, at a, well, at a physical sort of level, not just a mechanical level, but somehow they've got into his DNA because he's passed it on to Jack, this ability to communicate with the Borg. Is, is that a fair summary of the plot, Dave? Have I done it justice? Look, I think you have done it justice. If we're asking the question, did the whole series hang together? The answer is yes. Certainly a lot better than last season, where mm. by the end of it, just Q's doing stuff because why? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just weird, weird stuff. Um, everything kind of hang, hung together with maybe one big exception I will talk about. Did it need to be 10 episodes? I think that's a bit of a contention. And one of the big things that did detract from me in this season, and that I I fully admit is not the fault of Picard Season 3, is that I'm a bit tired of some of this season-long story format. Mm. Whatever the TV show it is, I'm kind of a little bit tired of it, particularly in those early episodes where it really felt very 
manufactured and very cynical in the way that they would drop just enough per episode to get Twitter sort of going, what's going on here? Oh, who's Raffi's handler? Da, da, da. Rather than just, you know, okay, we're going to introduce Worf now because this is actually when Worf's part of the plot starts. We're going to not introduce Worf and drop some clues. So everyone's going, where's Worf? Who's that? I think it's Worf. Twitter, you know, hashtag Worf is trend- trending. And, yeah, yeah. and and then, then you know, Worf rocks up a little bit later because that's now into the second episode. And, and look, I get the need for cliffhangers. I'm a Doctor Who fan. Of course I get the need for cliffhangers. Mm. But, but there was a lot in this series that occasionally annoyed me because they just pushed things out that didn't need to be pushed out they just dropped hints that were just a little bit too ran a little bit too long and i, I like the idea of seeding plot and there, there was some good stuff there but there was i don't think that the 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 season series was very even in the way that it distributed that plot hmm. what that meant was those first couple of episodes i was very cynical about and i was very sort of okay, well, we're just doing lots of very slow setup. There's no actual story to these episodes. You, you watch something like The Mandalorian, even season three of The Mandalorian, and even though there is an overall story, although less so with that season, we'll talk about that next week. Yes, we will. Uh, but every time you watch an episode of The Mandalorian, there is some sort of self-contained story with a start, a middle, and an end. And whether you enjoyed the arc stuff or not, there was a contained story. And it might have been a good one or a bad one, but you knew that you'd watched a story. The first few episodes of Picard particularly, it was like I'd watched a three or four hour movie and at the 50 minute mark, someone had just pressed pause. Yeah. There, there was no story. And, and that to me is, look, I get it. It's valid. It's trendy. It's TV at the moment, but I'm frustrated with it. And the unfortunate problem for Picard 3 is this was just sitting here. It, it, it was the straw that broke my back in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's fair because I think this season was about two episodes too flabby. And by that, I don't mean you can just go in and surgically remove two episodes and it would be okay. You'd have to remove the plot of those two episodes and then redistribute the story across the remaining eight. I think it was probably a good eight-part series uh, lurking in those ten episodes. And look, I thought it was a decent premise. To, To go back to the story, a number of people would say, oh, this is riffing hard on The Wrath of Khan. And every week that would just get louder. And I guess it was there in the way in Wrath of Khan, Khan wants the Genesis device. Here, Vatic wants Jack. There's a standoff between the two ships in various ways. You know, Nebula. Ships. I was about to say ships hiding in clouds, but Nebula is a better way to put it. Yeah, ships hiding in Nebulas. There are infiltrators in Wrath of Khan because they get those eels put inside their their heads. And, you know, they infiltrate here. The changelings are the infiltrators and so on and so forth. I get all of that. But there's plenty in here that wasn't Wrath of Khan either. So to people who would say that, I'd say, look, I hear you. You know, and hey, if it's going to riff on some older Star Trek, Wrath of Khan's a pretty good place to start. But there was a lot more to it as well. And to just hand wave and say, meh, it's Wrath of Khan, I think misses the point, which I did see a lot of when it came to this season. Yeah, look, I think it's very clear that Terry Metalis has obviously seen Wrath of Khan yes. and <laughs> likes Wrath of Khan. I think that's very clear. And look, I think there were some Wrath of Khan Easter eggs sprinkled through it. I, I don't think that it was a lot more beyond that. And certainly by the time we sort of got to phase three of the season, I, I think that was, was well and truly gone. That was more of a Vedic thing than than anything else. Um, look, for, for me, the highlight in some ways of the season was The Changelings, which, mm-hmm. as you know, Rob, DS9 is a show I'm a big fan of. It is 
I won't say comfortably my favourite Trek because Next Generation is is up there as well, but it is it is my favourite Star Trek. And so when they started to reveal that, hey, changelings are involved, that was something that did pique my interest and did draw me back in a little bit, uh, particularly after those first three episodes, which were, uh, look, I still think very shallow and very more missed than hit. Mm. Um, although I did like the, 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 the twist that the spatial anomaly was just a giant pregnant alien. I thought that was kind of very tricky and very cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that was a positive, but, but it was that, hey, that's a changeling that brought me back into that. It's therefore a shame that the changelings weren't the big bad. And I think that phase two of the season was my favourite. And then we got to phase three, which had some highlights and some problems. But before I go there, how did the changelings work for you? And I guess I'll start by saying, were you a big DS9 fan and did you know much of the backstory? No, no, I'm, I'm not a DS9 fan. Okay. By which I'm not saying, oh, I hate DS9. I'm just saying it's actually the, the Star Trek I've seen the least of. Wow, okay. It, it was one that I kind of... I, I, Looking back, I don't know whether it was because I was a Babylon 5 kind of guy and I was like, they've ripped off Babylon 5, you know. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's debate still raging about that today, folks. I don't know whether it was because of that or not, but I've not actually seen a lot of it. So, for me... Look, I know where these characters, you know, have, have come from. I know a bit of what happens in DS9, but for me, it would have nowhere near the same effect as it would have on you. But I know enough to know that this is an alien species that could carry the season for fans, but I'm not sure it could for the normies. And I think that's why they have to bring in the Borg at the end. Look, it, it's absolutely right. I think that in a rational sense, what you said is very, very true. And we'll talk about the Borg in a moment because we need to have that conversation. But mm-hmm. I did like that the changes were back. I thought for a while they were used very well. There was one episode there that really reminded me of The Adversary, which is a really good classic episode of DS9. Uh, I thought that the the danger of the changelings was, was, was shown very well. They were seen to be powerful and difficult to defeat. And mm. that, that tension that they could be anyone was, was really well captured. I did think that they were disposed of a little bit too easily. And, and look, that was excused because they weren't real changelings. They were these experimented upon offshoot hybrid things. They weren't part of the great link and that allowed them to be a bit more flexible. But, but in DS9, when a changeling was killed, it was a very big deal. It only happened a couple of times in the series, and it, and it was a like, oh wow, you killed a changeling. That's that's huge. Oh really? Yeah, they were they were very hard to kill, and it was a big deal when they were killed. It was sort of a an event, if you like. Um, you know, it's kind of like killing a Vorlon, if you like, for for Babylon Five fans. Oh wow, okay, that's big. Yeah, um, diff different, but 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 that's sort of like you know when it happens, it's like wow, that's that's been a big deal, and there are there are ramifications each time in in the episode at least, if not in the series. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they could just sort of be blasted, I thought was a little bit of a shame. But look, that's fine. But but look, it was enough to get my interest elevated, and we started to get some really good fun episodes in there, uh, and I'll talk as well about some other great great stuff that came in there when we talk about characters. We then had sort of the big build-up to the big cliffhanger of what's going on with Jack, what's behind the red door. Okay, he's about to open the door, cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then we were going into the big sort of two-part finale of the season. Now, I'll be honest with you, Rob. My first reaction on seeing a Borg cube behind that door at the start of episode nine was, oh, not the Borg again. Yeah. But as I, as I was saying at the start... 
that's not this season's fault. It, it is, as you were saying, absolutely the right choice for the big bad of the final season of the final show of Jean-Luc Picard to be the Borg. I get that. Hmm. It's not season three's fault that the Borg cubes and Borg stuff rocked up in season one. It's not season three's fault that in season two they threw the Borg in to do some weird Borg sh- and just be weird for no particular reason, and then we're going to reinvent the Borg, and then, oh, the Borg are all nice now, because I don't know. Like, like it's not season three fault, and season three clearly just forgot that all of season two happened. Well, well, Dave, <laughs> Beverly had the line, we've not seen the Borg for ten years. <laughs> yes, to, to which Picard didn't go, actually, one of my best friends, although she's not that close a friend because she's a cold-hearted murderer, but we, 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 don't, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends on my previous ship turned into a Borg queen and now the Borg are nice and we have like diplomatic relations with the Borg. Nope, 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 we haven't seen the Borg, never mentioned them, season two didn't happen. Yeah, I look, I, I appreciated that on one level very much, uh, but on another I thought, that's so weird. That's a really weird thing to do. They're, they're doing that deliberately, surely. Nobody in the team could surely have missed that. No, that's what so, I mean. <laughs> so, so yeah, as, as I say, it's not season three's fault that the Borg had been badly used for the last two seasons, mm. and that led to a little bit of cynicism on my part. It was the right choice to make. Yeah, agree. Now, were you a Voyager fan, Rob? I was. I was a Voyager fan. I never got through the whole thing, and I'm actually about to remedy that. I'm buying the DVDs. They're so cheap these days. Oh, okay. And I'm going to remedy that. But I've seen about four of the seven seasons, so I I know a bit about it. Have you seen Endgame? I don't know what happens in Endgame, but I may have seen it. I don't know them by their episode It's the the series finale. Oh, then no. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So you wouldn't have picked up all the links to the end of Voyager then? No. No. Fill me in. Oh, okay. So, so the cube that they, the Borg cube that they find, and the Borg queen that's sort of decaying and having to cannibalize all the Borg, is, as I understand it, the cube and the queen that Janeway killed and destroyed to make their escape at the end of season seven of Voyager to get back to Earth. Oh, very nice. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. That's going to tie together nicely when I watch uh, that show again. Yeah, so again, like really clever links and sort of bringing all of all of Trek together. Uh, I thought the final confrontation was really good. I thought that that way that they did the Borg Queen as that sort of desperate thing was really cool. Uh, I thought there were some other problems that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. But having got past my, oh no, it's the Borg again, they did use them well. Yeah, look, I do think the Borg are a bit overdone. You know, it's it's come to define Picard's life, but I guess that's the point <laughs> i suppose it is probably the biggest thing that ever happened to him in his life in a very colorful career but yeah yeah it is what it is yeah look absolutely and and just from a meta point of view most people would agree that whether they're their personal favorites q who and best of both worlds are absolute classic episodes not just of tng but of trek uh, whether first contact is your favorite tng movie it is comfortably the most successful and yes. comfortably the most popular certainly with the general public and, and it is a lot of star trek fans favorite trek movie or favorite next gen movie it's not mine but it is for a lot of people so when they do the borg well they are a big deal like i get the temptation and again we're doctor who fans we know about the daleks being brought back not always in the best way yeah precisely so let's talk about the Federation and Frontier Day. And oh my God, how stupid are the Federation? <laughs> yeah. Haven't they seen Battlestar Galactica? Or Red Dark Force Rising? Or 
any occasion when you slave ships together, it works out really, really, really badly. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't get what they were kind of going for. It, it was, of all of the plot conceits in this, and it's sci-fi, it's fantasy, you're allowed plot conceits. Of all of the plot conceits in this, the whole, the entire Federation fleet is just going to be hanging around Earth on this day because they're going to fly past in space where no one can see them. Uh, that was kind of just... That was very bizarre, very stupid. I kind of like that uh, Commander Shelby was back as Admiral Shelby commanding the Enterprise F, I think it was. F or G, maybe? F or G, something like that. And uh, then she got shot for her troubles for making a really bad decision. That was kind of amusing. And, and it was a nice moment of, hey, they've got Shelby back. That's cool. Uh, I certainly wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that, that part of the plot, though, was bonkers, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. And and I kept... I made the joke about Battlestar Galactica a moment ago. I'm just kind of... This, this is the whole miniseries of Battlestar Galactica that kicked off the re, the reboot. <laughs> you know, this, this is the whole plot of that. Are they are they really riffing on that and thinking sci-fi fans won't notice? Yeah, yeah. look, that, that, that was a little bit weak. But look, the next note I have, Rob, is simply Enterprise D. Would you like to lead us in that discussion? Once we knew that there was this space museum with ships in it, I just turned to my wife instantly and said, oh, they're going to get the Enterprise back. (laughs) You know, so you sort of saw it coming a mile off. And what a beautifully reconstructed set. Is is that what you're wanting to talk about, how it looks? Well, that and the whole whole plot of the TNG crew back on the Galaxy-class Enterprise zooming around the galaxy. Sure, sure. which, Which basically was just the last two episodes. Yeah. Well, look, it's, uh, I'll go with how it looks first. They recreated that beautifully, and that is a beautiful design of ship. We were talking about that just recently, weren't we, Dave, on Twitter? And I was saying that whole loop behind the, the, the main seats, that that's wood. And you had comments on how the, the ship, where it falls in Star Trek history, it's because it's more of a peaceful ship. That's why they got the plush pile, shag carpet, and the and the wooden bits. And, you know, it's it's not a warship. No, no, it's it's interesting talking both uh, in in the in universe and outside of universe. Outside of universe, they really had this thing that they wanted the technology in TNG to be quote technology unchained, and this idea that humanity has now got to a a point of technology where it's not just you know we're putting together we're, we're at the edge of what we can do to to try and explore the galaxy. It's like nowhere now so far advanced that we can basically fly around in giant flying hotels. Mm. But the the in-universe explanation to my mind is look, the Klingons are now our allies, the Romulans are peaceful, every adversary we've encountered for the last few decades, they're no match for us. We're kind of friends with everybody. The universe is safe. We've got great big scary phases. So we can just cruise around in big luxury liners with our families, with kids on board. Yeah. With carpets and with lighting and with with, with kindergartens and science stations and, and sort of all be very genial and very relaxed and, and just explore the galaxy in, in, in luxury. And, and then obviously we get the Borg, then we get the Dominion, and suddenly they go, actually, no, the galaxy is a very scary place and outside of our little bit of it is a lot of very scary stuff. So that's why even with the Enterprise E, it was smaller, darker, leaner, there weren't families on board, and I, and I think you sort of see that continuing. So, you know, the, the, the Galaxy class was kind of the the last safe moment, that sort of Indian summer before World War II, if you like. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And, look, I think there was even a joke about the carpet. Wasn't there a line there like, I, mi- I missed the carpet or something? There was. It was yeah. very fun. 
Yeah. Uh, look, in terms of the the next gen crew, it was it was great to see everyone back. I mean, finally. Brent Spiner can look like himself and still play Data and doesn't have to be shoehorned into other roles like relatives of Noonie and Sung, who he seems to keep playing in, in Picard seasons uh, one and two. And, and sorry, once again, it's not season three's fault that they've overused Brent Spiner in seasons one and two. It was like they just couldn't work out how to have a convincing older Data in those first two seasons. Very strange. Frakes, always good as Riker. I thought it was interesting that they'd shoehorned in that he and Troy were, were on some kind of break from another. They, they were separated. Uh, that didn't feel quite right to me. That was near levels of Luke Skywalker has lost all hope in the universe and gone to die as a hermit in The Last Jedi. It just, it just didn't feel right for either character based on everything we know about them, or at least everything I know about them with my level of Star Trek knowledge. It really didn't need to be there, even as a payoff at the end of the season. Like, oh, we've survived and we're back in love. La-di-da. You know, it, I just didn't need that. I felt that was strange. Did you? Yeah, I think that they assumed we'd invested in some of the backstory they'd given us in season two more than we had. Because they did mention Tom Riker's death in, in season two. But I don't think we were sort of really invested in the death of a character we'd never met a season ago. No. So it didn't didn't quite work. As much as I loved seeing LeVar Burton back, I didn't quite buy the idea that great, big, excited, extrovert space engineer Geordie is now just, like, running a museum. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 you know, and, and making sure his daughters are home before night, you know, like, that, that just didn't quite ring true for me. But I get that he had to be there because, as you say, we had to have the museum. And, and look, side note, when we did introduce the museum and they had all the different starships and there was sort of one for every different Trek fan. So some fans saw the Voyager and teared up and I saw the Defiant and got emotional and others saw the, the Constitution class Enterprise. And, you know, they're all, they're all there. So that was lovely. Was, the TNG crew flying around on the Galaxy Class Enterprise, the ultimate in fan service. Absolutely. Yeah. Did I care on this occasion? No, I didn't. I think it was just done very, very tastefully. And there was just enough of it. It didn't outstay its welcome. It was it was fun. It was nice. It was really well done. I think that restoring the the source section of the Enterprise that was crashed on Viridian 3 was a little bit of a little bit improbable, but yeah, sure. A bit of a stretch. <laughs> a bit of a stretch, especially since apparently just Geordie, you know, in his spare time, just going, you know, I'm sort of imagining him going up to, you know, great big halt rips in the hull. Oh, that'll buff out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly like repairing a Ford Falcon in the garage. It's it's, it's a huge thing. No, but look, it, it, it was fun. It was lovingly done. It made sense. They covered it all with a line. So yeah, it was it was a lovely moment. I I didn't I didn't tear up like a lot of fans are saying on on Twitter. Um, maybe that's just me, but it was good. Yeah. Well, look, slightly moving on from the next gen cast, but not really because he's still part of it. He is the the titular character. I think Patrick Stewart really leaned into having the ensemble back together here you know you see it in his performance he's not just playing the role like oh i'm a retired old admiral and you people don't need to be here but i'm grateful that you are i think he's also playing it at another level i don't know whether you'd call this a meta level or just another level like these are people who 30 plus years ago 
I saw week in, week out for most of the year, year after year after year, and I love them. And his performance feels very real because of that. And I think it's quite interesting. I've sent you an interview, Dave. I'm not sure if you watched it with Jonathan Frakes. Not yet, no. And he talks very specifically about when the show was coming back. Patrick Stewart had them all over, well, I say all, but most of the main cast over to his house for tea to tell them, I'm bringing the show back, but you guys aren't going to be in it. And that was obviously something he was very keen on at first, but I think it was way better doing it like this uh, and having the old gang back. But when we get towards the end of this episode, I do have some stuff to say about that too. I'll pause there for the moment. Uh, Look, I agree with you. I think one of the interesting things about season three is that although Picard was important in terms of a lot of the relationships on the show, whether Mm. whether it's him and Beverly, him and Jack, him and the crew, him and Raffi, etc., etc., he actually wasn't that important to the plot. And apart from him talking Jack down at the very, very end, most of the solutions to this episode didn't come from Picard. Mm. Good point. So he was able to take a step back. Now, look, before we dive into a number of characters we want to talk about, are there any other general points from you? Yeah, look, this this sort of ties into something we've already spoken about, so I'll throw it in now before we go on. I think it's interesting how Terry Metalis, who you've mentioned came on a showrunner this season, must have came on board and looked at some of the playing pieces on the table from the previous two seasons and thought, nah, forget that. We talked about the Borg, of course. But a big one off the top of my head would be Picard's love interest, Laris. I mean, we ended that second season with Picard asking Laris for a second shot. Uh, The season started with him rejecting her, season ended with him saying, you know, give me another shot sort of thing. Yet in this season, she's nowhere to be seen, and I don't think she was even mentioned. Now, I don't know whether that's because it would complicate Picard and Crusher, not that they're having a romance anymore per se, or there was just no way to shoehorn her in. I I don't know. So I just thought I'd mention poor old Laris for anyone who was a fan of Laris, Dave. Fair enough. Hmm. So look, our run sheet now says we're going to talk about characters that we want to discuss and we haven't got a particular list together. It's just the ones we have stuff to say about. So I'll kick us off with Jack Crusher Mm -hmm. and say, first of all, it is super weird that Beverly named her son after her dead husband. That's just weird. I don't care how you explain in the plot. It is weird. Oh, really? Even as a homage, as a to honour him? I think so. I think grandfather's fine, but your dead husband? And particularly like the kid you've had with your dead husband's best mate? Well, that starts to get weird. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll agree with that second part. Yeah, no, true. Fair enough. Look, uh, Jack Crusher, as played by Ed Spielings, was one of the highlights of the series for me, I thought he's a really good actor. Um, he looked great in the Starfleet uniform once he got into it. He had those moments where you didn't quite know where the character's going to jump. Is the character going to jump in the sort of artful dodger direction or is he going to jump in the, you can see the son of Picard coming through type direction? And there was always that tension between them and that that makes for an interesting character to watch. It was just, just really good. It was really fun. Uh, he got to be intricate to the plot i i think they probably dragged some of the what's going on with jack stuff out a little bit too long and i'm not quite sure why he saw creeping vines in his vision i'm not quite sure if we got that but it all worked i thought he was a great actor a great character i liked him i took that to be the interconnectedness of the borg 
Okay. I could be I could be completely wrong, but I I took that after everything was revealed. I took that to be that things were connected somehow. Okay, that could make sense. Yeah, but I really don't know. Dave, I didn't like Jack at first. The personality was rubbing me all kinds of wrong, and as that realization of, oh geez, they're going to make him Picard's son got louder and stronger in my head. I was thinking, no, 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 don't make this idiot related to Picard. I really wasn't digging him at first. And I think that was by design. As the story went along, I warmed to him. And by the end, I thought Jack was still not maybe 100% likable all the time, but pretty likable and very interesting. And that's what you need in characters. You need interest. So, you know, in the end, I think Jack Crusher, fine, great. And if they do make another series, which we may talk about, he may be good in that counsellor's chair. I don't know. But uh, at first, I really didn't like him. That's for sure. Fair enough. A character you want to talk about? Oh, spoiled for choice. Let's talk about Shaw. Okay. I couldn't stand Shaw at first either. And I knew he was being written in a way to make me feel that. What was refreshing, however, is even though he had the expected arc where you just love the guy at the end, he still felt true to the person we first met. And that's something I think a lot of writers stuff up in TV shows. You sometimes have people just suddenly turn 180 degrees without explanation or become really nice on their deathbed. This was much better done, and and I joined with the dozens of people I saw online who said they had watched the hell out of a show with Shaw running a starship, but of course by the end it's all about giving Seven the ship and Raffi's the number one and Jack's now become Troy, and that's the new team. But I really enjoyed Shaw after a a shaky start. Uh, So look, three quick points on Shaw from me, because I did kind of expect you were going to bring him up. Okay. Uh, look, I will say that I did absolutely get the reference to Shaw from Jaws, and that's what he was named after. And particularly when he was doing his big backstory speech, it was very, very, very clearly a riff on Captain Shaw's speech, you know, famous Indianapolis speech in Jaws. You know, the when the Indianapolis went into the water, 807 of us went in that night. When mm-hmm. the sharks were done, only 103 came out. You know, like, you know, <laughs> you know, I could totally see where that was going. That, that was very cool. I never really warmed to Shaw as a character. I felt the whole way through he was kind of Captain Plot device. He was bitchy when he needed to be bitchy. He was helpful when he needed to be helpful. And and it never really felt like one consistent character. And and particularly that writing, I get that when he was first introduced, they were trying to make us not like the character. And I get that he was reacting in this, well, hang on, who were you two to come and just like tell me to change my mission and go off and do... No, that's stupid. No. like I get that. I didn't think it was very well written. And, And they just wrote him as a dick rather than as... A professional captain who had those views and I never really quite warmed to him I, I get that other people did but he just felt like his character every week was whatever the plot needed him to be and and therefore I'm obviously not desperate for him to come back from the dead but I will make the point even if I had liked the character I wouldn't want him to come back from the dead because as I've said on many of these episodes about Star Wars I don't like it when characters like Palpatine, like Boba Fett, like um, Darth Maul are killed off very clearly. You have a, a death moment and then, oh, the audience wants them back. So, oh, no, no, they're alive again. I, I think that's terrible. That's terrible drama. It's terrible fiction. It's cheap. It's lazy. Star Trek is always about looking to the future 
So let's not just bring Shaw back because, hey, people on Twitter love him. Okay, entirely fair. I love him. Uh, Dave? Look, I'm going to throw in one of the guest characters because it was a very important one to me and probably the highlight in some ways of the series, and that is Ro Laren coming back. I was a big fan of Michelle Forbes in the series and indeed in Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. and a few other things that she's turned up in. Ro Laren was a fantastic character. She was a character that came along with a really, really strong arc. She's in some of my favourite episodes, Ensign Row, uh, Preemptive Strike, uh, and a few others from seasons five and seven. Um, great, great character. She she was, in some ways, a bit of a turning point for the series when the series w- was going from that Gene Roddenberry, everybody gets along and everybody's friendly, no one has a problem in the future, to no, we can actually have characters with a bit of a dark backstory and who make bad decisions sometimes and are coming from a different sort of moral perspective and, and, and that sort of lent into that, that, that later TNG and particularly Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine. So you, I could kind of feel the whole of Star Trek twisting around her and she felt like a breath of fresh air when she came in. And when she came in here, I was just so well done. I was not spoiled by her appearing, so it was a genuine, Wow! Oh my God, that's Rolaren, wow. And there was all the tension, like, is she, is she not a changeling? There was the tension between her and Picard, because if you haven't seen Preemptive Strike, which is her final episode, that departure between her and Picard, where the final episode, I think it's directed by Patrick Stewart, in fact, mm-hmm. that final scene of that final episode where he's just angry, and Riker sort of puts the report down the desk and sort of slowly backs out of the office because you can just see Picard is just, beyond words, angry and betrayed. And they did pick it up and they did pay homage to that in a way that I felt really worked really well. She was then important to the plot. She then got a heroic death. I just thought that was a really great character to bring back and I, I loved seeing a favourite of mine back. Yeah, I had a wild teenage crush on Michelle Forbes. Uh, <laughs> so I was happy as the proverbial pig in muck uh, when she came on, Dave. And it's a shame they killed her off. But then I thought, well, what what would be the future for that character in Star Trek going forward? They probably couldn't do much with her. So it was probably a good way to go out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I have nothing really to add to that. It was more fan service in some ways, but fan service done right and fan service that felt relatively natural yeah yeah how about vadic or vadic how do you say it i've forgotten in the week or two since i stopped watching the show i think vedic vedic let's go with vedic i think amanda Plummer was brilliantly unhinged as as vedic dave i i think she really leaned into the writing which was quite solid it's hard for an actor to really smash apart when the writing's not there so i think the writing was there she leans into it, and she just feels unstoppable at first. The ship is awesome. She's got all the changelings out in Starfleet doing their thing. She's got the upper hand. Things looked genuinely grim for a long time. I mean, you know our heroes, or at least some of them, are going to survive because, hey, it's it's Star Trek and it's Picard. They're not going to kill everyone off, right? But they did look so grim, and she felt like a genuine threat, which is what you want from a villain. So I think an excellent villain for this third season in Vedic. But again, she gets swept away with all the other changelings, and then the Borg takes centre stage. (laughs) She was certainly a formidable villain, and she was certainly a credible villain, and Amanda Plummer was excellent in the role. I warmed to her more as she went on. I must admit, those first 
couple of performances were just a little bit too big for my taste. Much in the okay. same way as Michelle Gomez's Missy was quite a bit too big for me, my taste. Um, you know, when she first started. But but like Missy, as she went on, we got to see some of those lower moments. And particularly when she came on board the Titan, I thought that was, yeah, a really strong and creepy performance. And I really enjoyed it. And she got a cool death as well. Oh, super cool death. If you're a villain going out in a TV show, why wouldn't you want to freeze in space and then shatter into a hundred pieces? Like, Wow. <laughs> Uh, look, the only other character I had something to particularly to talk about was Worf. I think Worf's a very interesting character if you look at him across the whole of Trek. In TNG, he's actually pretty terrible at his job. He's always making mistakes. He's always letting things happen that he shouldn't. He's always sort of got a very strange take on stuff. He, you know, randomly kills members of the Klingon High Council because he's in a bad mood with them, despite the fact he's a serving <laughs> security chief. Like, like he's, he's kind of terrible, but they, they very quickly worked out that Michael Dorn has a fantastic comic timing, and yes. they, they definitely leaned into that. And, and that's why you start to see a lot of stuff, you know, Worf and Luxon and Troy and Worf and Alexander and Worf and Data. They just go off and have a rompy adventure, and he kind of just became the funny character. Um, that said, when they bring him into DS9 and they make him uh, chief of tactics or strategy whatever it is he's a really really good character i think he suits that darker mood much better but still that comic timing is there and i did like the fact that they just completely gave up on wolf being a particularly serious or relevant or useful character and they just said let's put michael dawn in as many situations where he can have funny one-liners as possible and let's just go with that and that's yeah. what they did and look was it a bit silly sure but why not highlight that part of the character? Oh, yeah. His one-liners were a, a delight. Uh, and I've always enjoyed Worf, even back in the, the Next Generation day. So it was no hardship having him back. Oh, I enjoyed him. I just, particularly when I look back now and sort of rewatch the show, I just go, you are terrible at your job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I can see that. Uh, anyone else you wanted to talk about? I've covered all the main ones, like I did the next-gen crew as, as a bunch. Uh, I, I don't really have much to say about Seven or Raffi or or whatever. Um, I could add on to my bit that I said about Picard. I think in terms of the character Picard himself, I think in this season realising he's got a son, realising his life has gone off in some crazy directions, but also realising he has a chance to make things right now, spend some time with this son, save the world again... I just think that was a lot more interesting for his character than that second season's focus in particular on, oh, hey, Picard saw his mentally ill mother hang herself and he's been affected ever since, which just felt so off for Star that Trek. Happened, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow, that did happen. So although there's some big stuff happening in this season, this was so much lighter and just moved along and it was nothing like that second season, which was just horrible on, on so many levels, to be honest. Yeah, it was it was definitely always fun to watch, and that's why I was always very excited and happy to tune in every Friday or Saturday when I could and, and, and watch it. So yeah. big credit to that. Look, we've said that the big ending, the big finale was really exciting. It was really fun. It was massive fan service. We didn't care. I would like just to highlight before we go into a couple of final points that I was very pleased that they gave the end of the episode enough room to breathe. Now, it did feel a little bit like 
um, the Lord of the Rings with sort of the, the 14 different endings. <laughs> yep. Um, but, but I did think it actually did have enough room to breathe. It had enough room to quietly wrap up the next-gen team and give them a farewell that was very clearly, uh, a very, very clear visual reference to the final scene of All Good Things. And, and then to sort of wrap up all the little bits of the plot and all the little individual bits of the character. I thought that when they said, we've renamed the Titan in honour of you, it was going to be called the USS Picard. Right. Which yeah. I think would have been cooler than just another Enterprise, particularly as Shelby's Enterprise was introduced and destroyed in the space of about 40 minutes, <laughs> which felt like a waste of an Enterprise to me. Now, I am told that there is backstory to that Enterprise in sort of other um, ephemera. Oh, okay. Um, so apparently it, 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 like it, it is talked about elsewhere, but I, I did think that was a waste of a, an Enterprise and going to a new one was a bit, bit silly, but it was a nice moment. And look... I thought that Q and Jack right at the end was a really, really good moment. And whilst I think that Jack needs an actual job on the new Enterprise, he can't just be the captain's buddy. Um, and in fact, I think it would be interesting to have him go from, I just cruise around with, with my mum in a, in a spaceship and do what I like to, dude, you're now an ensign. Your job is over at that console. Go do your job. Mm. Yes, I know you're my mate, but you can't just act like it. Like, I think that would be a really interesting thing. But anyway, um, the point I'm getting to is if you gave me that ship, that crew, on every week we have an adventure type series, I will be so there for it. Look, so will I. And I'll say that up front. But Dave, if you think of the three personalities of the three people sitting in those three command chairs... <laughs> Aren't they more similar than not? Like, are they all just going to be rebels each week together? Like, is no one going to pull them into line? How does that work? Yeah, look, that's a good point. I think if they did seriously go down this whole rumoured Star Trek legacy type series with the new crew of the, the Enterprise, I guess it is now, not the Titan, you're right. They'd have to introduce some other characters and there would have to be an antagonist. And, and you know, whether that's a Spock-like character or, you know, a, a very a very nerdy or very by-the-book second officer or, or science officer or something that can kind of be that antagonist, I think, you know, they'll have to do that. And, and they would have to give Jack a proper role. I think that goes without saying. Yeah, I think it's got to come from somewhere, that sort of angle, because otherwise they would, they just won't be true to the characters. If suddenly Seven is just suddenly being all by the book, it's like, well, that's not her. What's going on? So I'm, I'm already thinking ahead to that, if they even make that season. Who knows? If they even make that season. Yep, that's true. Mm. Rob, we're going to do highlights and lowlights before you finish. Let's start with your lowlight. We'll st oh, start with the lowlight. Okay. Yeah, because we'll, we'll, we'll go out on the high. Okay. The lowlight for me, Dave, and this is going to be funny given what you've just been talking about, was the final episode. Interesting. Yeah, and I can, I can sense the internet has just had a sharp intake of breath as I say that. <laughs> even before we got to the end of the episode, Dave... I recall the dialogue felt off in that episode. Exposition was creeping in. They were explaining things we could see on screen. It was it was suddenly off to me at the very start of the episode. And as it went on, we had all sorts of things happening. And near the end, we had the Enterprise flying into the Borg cube like the Millennium Falcon flies into the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Yes. I was rolling my eyes. And then the very fan service ending, of course. No one dies and we're playing cards. Direct hat tip to the end of the actual next-gen series. And part of me was like, yes, okay, very clever. I get it. I understand what you're doing. I've seen that. But I don't really get true satisfaction from that stuff because primarily I think it's cheap. Fan service and member berries is a very cheap way to get someone's interest. And I'll prove it. When you find someone who loves that last episode, 
what are they raving about the most? I guarantee it's not the actual plot, but it's the feels they had when watching it. Now, having said all of that, there is a place for that kind of thing, but I'll save that comment until we get to our final, final thoughts on the episode. No, fair enough. Uh, Look, my low light, if I was going for sort of a series-wide low light, it would be the fact that the Changelings were brought back to be second fiddle. Mm-hmm. They were kind of the, the Vardens of this this series, and that to me was a bit disappointing. My low light in terms of a moment was it's in, I think, episode three, where the ship is out of control and it's lost power and it's spiralling towards the great big pregnant alien. And Picard and Riker are just, oh, well, I guess we're dead. Let's just go and make peace with our maker and go and have a drink and sit in the, the, the holodeck that always is powered even when there's no power because line... <laughs> That's right. I just thought I did, that was stupid, but I get it. They were very obviously saving money on the sets because they were going to rebuild the Enterprise. Like I know that now, but but I just thought watching Picard and Riker be no, well we've been defeated. There's no way we could ever get power back to this ship. Oh well, let's just go and have a drink and get ready for death. It was so unlike those characters, and that was a really low moment for me. That's fair. And you know what? I had honestly forgotten that happened, and I must have just put it out of my mind. Otherwise, I might have thrown that in myself. Yeah, and look, I'll lead us off with the highlights. I have kind of already said it, and it was Ensign Rowe being back as Commander Rowe. It was Michelle Forbes' performance. It was that whole episode that remains my favourite episode of the series. It was a good episode that did everything right because it was a story. There was a beginning, a middle, an end of Rowe's story, of Rowe's episode. There was a plot to it. It was tense. It was dynamic. But it did also move the whole arc forward as well. Mm-hmm. And indeed, it did lead into this whole conspiracy that there are there are changelings infiltrated the top levels of Starfleet that I don't think was ever quite properly dealt with. I mean, yes, they said they were putting all the kids through the transporter to identify who were changelings, but is somebody who's the admiral in charge of security at Starfleet not going to be able to work out a way to get out of that? Are there still changelings infiltrating the Federation that we've all forgotten about? I don't know. Yeah, is it a one-off transporter thing that they do, or is it just in the transporters now? That that might be harder to avoid if they have to transport somewhere eventually in their career. I don't know. Yeah. No, but the fact that we sort of didn't get a really tight explanation just shows that the, the changelings were the second fiddle to the Borg in this, and we've discussed why, and that's fair enough. Rob, your highlight. Dave, my highlight would be the show doing what it should have done in the first season, putting the band back together and getting off on the right foot from the start. And although they did it late, it was done well, narratively speaking. At first, it's just Picard and Riker. They get on a ship. Seven's on the ship. Now they've picked up Beverly. Meanwhile, Raffi realises her handler is Worf. Now Troy's involved. (laughs) Here's Geordie. Here's a new body for Data. And so on. It comes together really well. It's much better than if they are at, say, Picard's birthday party and something went wrong and miraculously the whole team is there already assembled. I would have gone on. No, don't do it like that. So this was a much better idea. And if you don't think it should have come first in the three seasons, like I I think this should have absolutely happened in the first season, just think of Star Wars The Force Awakens. It got off on the same wrong foot by not reuniting the old gang, acknowledging them properly, and then moving on. And, and sadly, because of Ryan Johnson killing off Luke in the second movie, Carrie Fisher dies and so on, Star Wars, to its detriment, didn't even get the chance to course correct in its third part. But Picard did. 
uh, and reunited everyone, and that was great to see. So it, it is my highlight, what they did. No, look, that's fantastic. Look, Rob, we need to start wrapping this up because we're getting close to an hour. There's many, many things we could have discussed. Moriarty, Beverly Crusher, Geordie's kids, law, why they made the stupid cliche decision to activate law. Oh, we'll be able to control him. No, we can't. Bulbot will invite Vedic onto the ship to trap her. That always works out. No, it never works out. We can talk about so many things. There isn't time. I will say, though, if you want to go into this stuff in a lot of detail and you do enjoy our hot takes, check out Trek This Out's hot takes of Picard, which they did every week, and I guessed it on one of those ones. They're a different style to us, but they're lots of fun. And they do go into each episode in a lot of depth. My final thought, Rob, look, I just to sum up what I've said, I enjoyed watching this series. There were many great characters. There were many great moments. There were some dumb moments. There were some stupid moments. Had this been a standalone season where we hadn't wasted the Borg before and we hadn't used Brett Spiner before, Brent, I should say, um, and if it wasn't that I was just a bit sick of this sort of drag the arc out over 10 episodes and make sure Twitter's excited, everyone, if it wasn't for those things, this would have been perfect. As it was, it was near perfect. It was fun. It's the best trek that's been in quite a while, um, with the exception of Strange New Worlds, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's it was really good. I'm happy. I enjoyed it, and I'm keen for Star Trek Legacy if it happens. Fantastic. My my final thoughts. I may sound like a broken record. I just wish they'd started with this series and and then moved on from it. Instead, we killed Picard in the first season. Then we had a Star Trek Four time travel ripoff in the second season, and then suddenly we got on track in this one. And look, I may be shouted down by this in people who were just in tears at the end, and then perhaps up and marching around their lounge room and conducting the Star Trek Orchestra as the next-gen theme sort of played at infinitum, the same bars over and over and over and over <laughs> at the end, and they're thinking, wow, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. All those people are probably saying, what are you talking about? This was the best way to end the series. No, I think this should have been the first season and then gone on to do new things. I do understand why their emotions would be there, though. The, the show was designed to push all the buttons if they weren't feeling it, or if anyone out there wasn't feeling it, you know, check your pulse, you're probably dead. Being a brutal bastard, though, who wants the story first and defeals second, I just felt this series was ass about. And that's not Terry Metalis's fault. It's how others kick the series off to set that course from the start. Fair enough. Well, look, that's been our Alternate Galaxies look at Picard Season 3. We will be back very shortly. We are planning to do an Alternate Galaxies on The Mandalorian Season 3, which has also finished in the last couple of weeks. Now, whether you hear that next or you hear our List Makers episode next, we're not quite sure, but they're both coming down the path very soon, followed, obviously, by our monthly episode at the end of May. I also have a very special video coming. Did the Fifth Doctor wear a cricket outfit? I will answer all. Well, that's going to be a quick four-second video, yes. <laughs> it's current, currently at 20 minutes, Dave. Oh, my goodness. I wonder what you're going to say there. Interesting. Okay, well, look, we'll wait for all that. But until then, I've been Dave. I've been Rob. And we'll speak many times very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the dwshow. Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin MacLeod. 
Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.